Okay, so, last week, week before last, as I was preparing for last week's message, it became, it became clear to me that, that what I had needed to spin into two, and that there was a section that was far too interesting, at least to me, and far too important, that, and it needed to have a week all to itself. And that led to today's message, and today's message, message is entitled, if I can say it, cancelled. And my plan is, is to address a contemporary issue that is swirling repeatedly around our news cycles, and it's become known as cancel culture. The idea that, that, that if, if someone uncovers any grievous behaviour deep in another person's distant past, then they really, really need to bring it to the world's attention to judge it in the public domain and then cancel them. To write them off, to discredit everything they've ever done and ban them from ever being heard from again. To which I'd say, aren't you so glad that Jesus doesn't do that? I think it'd be helpful at, at the beginning to just spend a few minutes looking at, at some of the underlying issues before we have the gospel today. And I'll start with, with an interesting thought that's kind of occurred to me, been bubbling in with, within me for the last couple of weeks, and it's this. The world just does not know what to do with sin. Knows it's a problem. Knows there should be consequences. But it can't define it. It really doesn't want to define it. And it has no idea where grace or forgiveness fit in. So when they come across something that they, they wouldn't call sin, but have decided is sin, they really don't know what to do with it. And that, at least in part, explains the, the, the confused and contradictory mess that culture is currently in. Now, thanks, Mike. Now, in the, in the eternal cosmic spiritual scheme of things, it's no great surprise that this has become a thing. I mean, gospel and cross and resurrection are all about dealing with the sin problem. The principle that we're, we're all sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God and are therefore all in need of forgiveness and rescue. In need of rescue from, from the darkness in our own souls. In need of rescue from the huge damage that sin can do and probably has done in our lives. And ultimately rescue from death and the eternal consequences of the rebellion of sin. And if that's the case... It should be no surprise that the enemy is trying to distract people from gospel. That he's trying to discredit the gospel and ultimately to discount the gospel. We see the trouble that, that people out there are having is that they are still image bearers. That they still have an inbuilt God consciousness or, or, or sin awareness or, or moral compass. 
They instinctively know that sin is real and should have consequences, but modern thinking just doesn't provide the parameters for that. And that has created a a deep confusion. And the world is, I, I think, inevitably really struggling with it. So we live in this, this confused and contradictory world where everyone wants grace but isn't prepared to give it. And as a result, society has become very judgmental, very graceless, and hugely hypocritical. You see, if you, if you remove holy God as the definer and judge of sin, If you remove Jesus as the example and the demonstration and the execution of grace, if you remove that, you really are stuck. And that is the paradigm in which we find ourselves in the 2020s. One of the problems is is the world just doesn't know what to do, what to make of truth and morality. The pervasive view, as we've been taught, is there is no absolute truth. And that truth is relative and it is subjective. A part that is for my truth, which is by definition the exception. And if you oppose my truth, you have become the enemy. And here's the problem. Who gets to define what morality is, what what qualifies, where are the lines, who who chooses, do we we just choose for ourselves, what right do others have to choose for you, and where, if anywhere, does God fit into all of that? I I listened uh, recently to a really fascinating podcast Uh, It's called The Catalyst Podcast. I recommend it. And the interviewer is interviewing uh, the Bishop N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. You've probably heard of him. He's one of the most eminent British theologians. He's written extensively. He's got a series of Bible commentaries called Bible for Everyone. He's been at St. Andrews. I think he's now Oxford University. Bright chap. Widely respected voice. And on this particular podcast... In about a three-minute stretch, he said some really interesting things. And he's cleverer than me, so I thought it would be valuable to, to share them with you this morning. He said something like this. It seems to me we are in a very confused culture with a highly moralistic culture of one sort. The Western world has invented new moralisms to take the place of the old ones. But the trouble with the new moralisms is that there is never any redemption. If you are caught out saying accidentally something which someone else says is racist or crypto-Nazi or whatever it is, then that's it. You're out, you're you're cancelled, you're in social hell. There's no way back, no chance for repentance or forgiveness and so on. He said that is a very cruel culture. Then he explained it a bit further and he said something like this, and I've sort of transcribed it so it's, it's in his words. 
in, in the present social and cultural climate, everyone is nervous about tripping up over some hidden thou shalt not in the culture. Ain't that the truth? Whether it's about gender rights of one sort or another, about issues to do with race and so on, and the rules keep changing. And as the rules change, it's very hard to keep up with them. And actually, as he said, it, at my age, I think he's a little bit older than me, it's, it's really hard to keep up with this stuff that's changing and is so different from what I was brought up in. And he went on to describe it as a, as a sort of pseudo-morality. He described it as a victim culture where if someone feels upset by what someone else has sometimes quite innocently said, then they can blame the person who's done it. And once you blame them, there's no way back. They are non-persons. They are damned, or whatever. And he closed this section of the interview really by saying, the people on the street are thinking so differently now in 2021. And they said that, that we have to get used, as Christians, we have to get used to articulating the message of Jesus in a very, very different context. He also explained that, that people used to, to object to Christians banging on about sin. But the point of banging on about sin was to say there is a way back to God from the darkness of sin. And to say that we're all sinners, N.T. Wright said, was actually a positive doctrine because we now have a diagnosis for the problem. And what's more, we have a solution that God has provided the remedy. I thought that was really interesting to hear such an uh, influential, intelligent man articulate it as clearly as that. No, they really don't want to give anyone the right to define sin. They don't want accountability to a, to a holy and moral God, but they do want blame. And if anyone perceives themselves to be the victim of anything, they want to have a free card to complete condemnation and revenge, with no room for explanation, no apology that's good enough, and no opportunity for a second chance, no opportunity for redemption of any sort. Cancel culture. And here's part of the huge challenge to us as Christians. And it's this, the decision of who gets cancelled is being driven by people who, on the whole, stand for a very different set of values to us. Isn't that true? But you know, it's not easy for people out in the world either. We're increasingly seeing people getting cancelled by fringe and competing members of their own groups. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the J.K. Rowling situation. So it's very confusing... It's very bleak. And the question is, where does it end? Before we open our Bibles and look at Jesus, it's always a good thing to do. Uh, one additional nuance to this that's relevant to us right now, I think. I was chatting to Peter and Eileen Bishop after the service last week, and Peter made an interesting and poignant point, sir. As always, of course. And we were actually, at the time, we were talking about Boris Johnson. And we were talking about how we need to extend grace to the political leaders who had just an impossible time 
through this whole COVID situation. And Peter said something like this. He said, well, what doesn't help is that leaders today really struggle with repentance. And one of our fr frustrations, I'm thinking about those political leaders now, one of our frustrations is, is, is no, we're not, we're not expecting you to be perfect. After all, as we've said, there's no such thing as the perfect answer to an impossible question. But if you do get it wrong, which after all is inevitable, I mean, you're human, you're fallible, the media are pouring over every word. You know, we'd have, we'd have a little bit more respect for you if you were prepared to say sorry every now and again. A, a little genuine repentance. Now, now as Christians, we, we know that repentance is incredibly powerful. You know, but pondering what Peter was, was saying there, I, I think they're terrified about what might happen if they do. Will repentance be perceived as a, a sign of weakness for which they will get publicly slaughtered? The answer, of course, is yes. Is it then easier to, to dig your heels in and bury your head in the sand and hope that it goes away? That seems to be their strategy. You know, in an increasingly litigious climate, what if you do admit culpability? I suspect they've got some very expensive lawyers in the background saying, don't admit to anything. Which brings us sort of round back to that premise. The world just does not know what to do with sin. Fortunately, Jesus came to the earth and provided the perfect answer to this seemingly impossible question. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look again at one of my favourite grace stories, which is the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And, and we're going to read her story in a bit. It's really powerful. But, but here's an important principle that I want you to get today. You're familiar with Romans 12, verse 2. Fantastic verse. The NIV says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is important. There's a worldly pattern. And it is loud, and it is imposing, and it is growing in popularity. And here's the danger. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 12, verse 2. As Christians, the danger is we start to conform to that pattern and we lose sight of the gospel. J.B. Phillips' translation, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould. Social media world is trying to squeeze us into a mould and it's very strong and it's very convincing and it's quite powerful. The message said, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even noticing. Powerful words. The reality is we are being strongly and repeatedly and intentionally trained in the world's way. And the world's way is, number one, expose. Number two, judge. Number three, 
cancel. Number one, to expose people's faults. Or at least what you perceive them to be. Number two is to judge them in the court of social media opinion. And the number three is cancel them. Write them off, blacklist and ban them for life. That is the worldly way. It's hard, it's graceless and it is antithetical to gospel. And it's happening more and more all around us. It's at the heart of of this so-called cancel culture. And we, church, need to make sure we do not get sucked into that mindset. Think about this. My word, if Jesus had done that to us. I looked up the word cancel uh, in the NIV New Testament And the word cancel appears three times. The first two times it's in parables about grace, where the master mercifully cancels his servant's debts, just like that. And the third time the word cancel is mentioned is in a well-known passage in the book of Colossians. Colossians 2 verse 13. He, talking about Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailing it to the cross. You know, the wonderful thing about the gospel is Jesus was well and truly cancelled in our place. The only thing for us that got cancelled was our sin. It was nailed to the cross. The legal debt was paid. It was taken away. It was cancelled. And so the good news is that cancelling is therefore no longer a thing for us. Praise the Lord. Okay, time for the story as I promised you. John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. The crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Boom. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Okay, what did I say the worldly way was? Expose, judge, cancel. So what happened here to this lady? Well, first of all, they exposed her sin. Publicly. Ruthlessly, they literally threw her on the floor at Jesus' feet in the public square. And number two, they judged her. No context, no mitigation, no mercy. Guilty. And then they cancelled her. Or, Or at least they were about to. 
And by cancel, I mean stone to death. And you cannot get any more cancelled than that. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, so Jesus stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Thank God that the gospel way is very, very different. How many times have we talked about the gospel being upside down, the gospel being counter-cultural? You see, God's way isn't expose and judge and cancel. The gospel way is love and grace and forgive. Number one, love to conceal. Number two, grace, when judgment might reasonably have been expected. And number three, forgiveness. The person doesn't get cancelled, but their sin does. Let's look at those three in just a little bit more detail. Number one, Jesus by default, by habit, is just who he was. Jesus loved this woman. Now, I'm not sure that she was particularly familiar with the concept of love. That the sin that she'd been exposed for suggested a forlorn search for love in all the wrong places. But I want you to know, once Jesus had issued his challenge, the accusers left, and Jesus was the only one remaining. This is important. He he took her sin from the shame of public to the dignity of private. To which I'd say, wow, don't we all long for grace like that? 1 Peter 4 verse 8, you've probably heard this one before. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love's about covering, not exposing. Proverbs 4, verse 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Passion Translation, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. So number one, Jesus loved her, concealing that sin. Number two, Jesus offered her grace. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. See, grace chooses to overlook offence. Grace gives other people the mercy and kindness we would so dearly love to receive ourselves. Grace offers hope and solutions rather than guilt and bondage. And then number three, he forgave her. Go and sin no more. Clean slate. 
second chance. I'd like you to notice that none of Jesus' words piled on any guilt or any shame whatsoever. Instead, he offered redemption. He offered reconciliation. He offered restoration. Don't you so prefer the gospel? And so here's what we're called to do as Christians. Here we go. In the face of cancel culture, in a world where we're not sure whom to trust, in a world exploding with outrage and and political polarisation and gracelessness, our calling is to be vessels of love and agents of grace and unquestioning, unconditional, habitual forgivers. So the enemy hates those three things. Those three things are perilous to his purposes. The enemy is anti Love. And that's why he'll do anything to stir up hate and fear and suspicion and jealousy and envy. Number two, the enemy is anti-grace. He flourishes on judgment and damnation and criticism and discord and religiosity. And thirdly, the enemy is anti-forgiveness. Because he knows how deep and how strong and how powerful, as we saw last week, those roots of offence and bitterness can become. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We could rewrite that verse. If we see the enemy doing something Run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. See, the enemy loves cancelling people. He loves exposing people's sin and laughing about it and then piling on the guilt and shame. You know, as the church, we must not buy into this. We must not get suckered into it. We must let, let the world train us in this pattern. We must be wise to what is happening right underneath our noses. And instead, we must be a people of grace. A people that always seek to restore and to repair and to reconcile. To build bridges. To give hope. To offer solutions. Like Jesus standing up for the ostracized and the alienated and the rejected and the condemned and those who are without hope. Here's an interesting thought for you. I reckon Jesus' ministry seemed to be specifically aimed at the cancelled. The woman caught in adultery. We could go through the, the prostitute who who anointed him with oil and wiped, wiped with his tears, well, her tears and her hair wiped his feet. Think about the woman at the well. How many, how many husbands had she had? One, two, three, four, five, how many was it? Canc- I mean, this woman had been cancelled. She'd been written off. She'd been ostracised. She'd been tossed away. And there's Jesus at the well. Think about Zacchaeus up that sycamore tree. Despised, rejected. That man had been 
utterly cancelled by his own people. What about the woman with the issue of blood? You know, she was perceived to be unclean. People would have had nothing to do with her. How many years did she have that issue? Think about the lepers. How many times did Jesus have compassion on and touch the lepers? They were so cancelled, they had to live outside the city walls. And I want you to notice that not only that, but Jesus had a tremendous problem with the hypocrisy of the ones doing the cancelling and using religion and law as their justification. We must not be suckered into doing it the world's way. There is an infinitely better way, the gospel way. Read again the Sermon on the Mount. That's how we're to do it. We are to be vessels of love, agents of grace, unquestioning, unconditional, habitual forgivers. Here's the line. Jesus lit the fuse, and this is how we change the world. Jesus lit the fuse, and this is how we change the world. Okay, how do we respond to all of that? Uh, three responses, I think. It's growing. It'll be five by the time I'm done. First question, the response number one is, have you, I want you to be honest with yourselves, folks, have you been suckered into a cancel culture mentality? Have you found yourself becoming outraged? Becoming judgmental? Becoming dismissive? Do you have a critical spirit? Have you been storing up and rehearsing people's offences? And here's an important line. Have you started to look not at the plank in your own eye, but the speck in theirs? And folks, if you've been suckered into any of that, then you need to repent. And of course, the word repent means literally to change direction. It means choose the gospel. Choose to be, instead of all that, choose to be a vessel of love and an agent of grace and forgiveness. And I just wonder for one or two people, you know, as I said, we're bombarded with this. You know, your social media feed is absolutely full of it, particularly if you unpeel it, start looking at the blogs. And if you have been sucking in, even just a little bit, then the right thing to do is just fall on your knees and say, Lord, I repent. So that's number one. Number two, this I think is an interesting one for you. Number two is a question. How would your current circumstances change if you were to throw at them love and grace and forgiveness? I think that's a compelling question. And I think you know the answer. And I'd really encourage you. I don't know what situation, circumstance you're in. That question may or may not be relevant to you. Take that to the Lord this morning. What would your current circumstances look like? How might they change? What seed would you sow if instead of you hurled at it all the love and the grace and the forgiveness you've got? And then the third response, I said it's growing, is is 
you know, I think there's, there's always a part for an impartation. And that's a recognition that, that we don't have, but God does. And sometimes we find our own wells getting a little bit dry. And if we find ourselves getting a bit, a bit, a bit dry, we can no longer overflow with the goodness of God. And it may well be this morning that you need an impartation of love and grace. In fact, I'd say, close your eyes, we, we, everyone needs an impartation of love and grace. We cannot get enough of the love of God and his grace. That grace that forgives and that grace that empowers and enables and helps us to see through the right lens and not jump hastily. And so if you, if you just feel a little bit depleted and you'd like someone just to lay hands on you this morning and just to say, God, would you fill them with your love afresh? God, would you top them up with your grace? Say, maybe this one, maybe if there's someone that you need to forgive, just pray, God, would you give me the strength that I need in faith to walk out these doors and forgive that person?